now, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Coming to you from an undisclosed location in Middle Tennessee and examining current events from a biblical perspective, this is Bible News Radio with your hosts, Randall and Stacy Harp. All right. Hello, everybody. I want to welcome you people to this show. Yeah, I do. And we're on here early tonight because I have a very special guest that, you know, I wanted to uh, come on tonight to talk to you about some of the latest information in the world of news. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do me a favor. Hey, if you're watching this show live right now, what I want you to do is I want you to go ahead and share it out because you know those liberal platforms. Yeah, you do. You're on it right now. <laughs> and they're, high. they're spiking all of us conservative Christian stuff. You know, so, you know, go ahead, tweet it out, share it out on Facebook. If you're on YouTube, go ahead, share it out somewhere. Um, and let people know that we have a wonderful guy on the phone. Yeah, we do. He is on the phone. Almost like clandestine spy type thing. We're going to put up the graphic of his face. Yeah, we are. So, go ahead and tweet the show out. Because today, we are going to talk about this brand new book. Yeah, it is. Check that out. Progressive evil let me read you the subtitle how radicals are redefining america's rights institutions and ideals making her globally irrelevant for the end times yep and who is the author of this great book you might ask well i'm going to tell you it's lieutenant colonel robert l mcginnis who is retired from the army by the way and he's a washington insider and he has grandchildren, even. Mm-hmm. Probably didn't know that, did you? <laughs> Insider info. Let me tell you a little bit about this man. He is not only retired from the U.S. Army, he graduated from the U.S. Military Academy, the Naval Postgraduate School, the Command and General Staff College, and the Army War College's Strategy Course. Mm-hmm. And a whole bunch more right there in very small print. Just so you know. We'll get more info after he gets on there. All right, people. So thank you for joining us tonight. Hope that you had a good Friday. I had a great day yesterday as well. Today is Saturday. <laughs> My day kind of got, I was like, what day is today? Oh, yeah, it's Saturday. Today I went and I visited my dad in the, who is uh, 91. And we just celebrated his birthday, people. We had cake and ice cream. And my dad, you know what else? He had a root beer float, people, because he likes root beer, and he likes ice cream together. Okay. All right. And as always, I want to thank Bareface for uh, producing this show. I really appreciate it, Randall. Thank you for doing that. Okay. My pleasure. All right. There you are, you handsome monkey man. Send Stacy. <laughs> yeah. There. Well... That was the first mistake, right? To send me? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. All right. So you guys, look, I was telling you about this uh, a couple of days ago. We were talking to somebody and I asked all of you guys uh, if I should have Bob McGinnis on the, on, on the show. And you were like, I was like, put a one if you want me to. And there was like all these ones. And I was like, oh, there's affirmation. Okay, we should do it. So I, I called Bob up because I met him a couple of years ago 
and he was gracious enough to uh, accept the invite and so he's going to be with us tonight for the hour and so if you guys have any questions or comments during the show just feel free to put them in the chat box wherever you're at okay and then we will answer them if they're appropriate if they're not then we'll just ignore it because i have that right just so you know but most of you guys are are pretty cool hey mama gina melanie and, and uh, sean and danielle and all you other guys out there andre thank you for coming in okay i'm gonna also share this out as well tweet that out all right <clears throat> all right so bob welcome to the show you're here Glad that you're here. Wait, hold on. I should unmute you. On YouTube. There, I unmuted you. Okay, hello, Bob. <laughs> hello, Stacy. How are you? <laughs> I'm I'm good. I am so good. I'm so happy you're here. Okay, so uh, not only was I super happy to meet you uh, in Oklahoma a couple years ago uh, when I met you, I was super super excited about that because I just thought you were so cool. I always love to meet people who not only are patriots but also who are in our government, because for the first time, you know, the very first time I went to Washington, D.C., like on vacation, and I was walking through, you know, not only all the memorials and stuff, but I was walking through through everything. I was I was just like, this place is amazing. Just the the godly heritage of the country and, and all that. And I was just, I was, Randall can tell you, I was almost like walking on sunshine. I was walking like so happy up and down the streets of Washington, D.C., thinking this is America and I'm proud to be an American. So the fact that you're a veteran uh, and you've served in our government for so long is just adm- admirable to me. And it's just really an honor to have you on the show. Well, it's my pleasure. <laughs> Okay, so so for those of you who may not know who Bob is, um, go ahead and tell us a little bit about your background, beginning when you were born. Like, how how long ago was that? A long time ago, Stacy. <laughs> I was uh, out of Florida, Orlando, Florida, and then uh, you know, my my parents uh, were separated, and I you know, grew up with a stepfather in California. L.A. area, and then um, lived in Alabama and Tennessee. From Tennessee, I went to the military academy, and after four years there, I went uh, to Korea, uh, came back to the States, spent uh, several years uh, at the Middle West, Kansas, Oklahoma, uh, and back to California, then back uh, across the the ocean to Germany, uh, back again to California, uh, back to the southeast where I served at the infantry school, spent some time in Alaska, been elsewhere as well, eventually ended up in the Pentagon uh, back in 19, oh, 1990, where uh, after serving as an inspector general, I retired, joined the Family Research Council, mm-hmm. uh, served there almost a decade, came to the Pentagon, and have been at the Pentagon for the last 17 years, still there. Uh, and I do a host of things on the side, one of which is write books. Yeah, that is so cool. That is so cool. What a life you've led. Okay, and you mentioned you you uh, you have grandchildren, which means you've been married. How how long have you? Oh been, yes. How long you've been 43 married? Forty three years. Forty three years. Wow. There 43. you go. That's great. 
That's, well, I shouldn't say this, but that's almost my whole life. Yep. Well, it's uh, it's a certainly a big part of mine. So. <laughs> that's great. Okay, so... And so obviously you have children and grandchildren. That's that's great. So one of the and I'm just trying to give people your background. So and you're a believer. You're you're a follower of Jesus, right? Right. Uh, I was baptized as a as a 16 year old, although I was as infant as well. Uh-huh. I came to Christ uh, as a teenager, uh, and then you know really didn't surrender my life until I was a young lieutenant in the U.S. Army when I was in the great nation of Korea, South Korea, and, and then have grown uh, tremendously since that time, a long time ago, though. Yeah, wow. That is that is amazing. I was going to say that's crazy, but I don't mean that in that way. But that was, that's very cool. Okay, so, um, and you mentioned Korea. You know, my dad, who I was just talking about a minute ago, he, he served in the Korean War, um, oh. and uh, he still talks a lot about it to this day and all that, so... Um, I'd be interested in hearing some of your experiences in Korea. Just one. Oh, goodness. Yeah, that that is dated. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think the, probably the most memorable, because I was not in the Korean War. I'm much right. younger than that. <laughs> uh, but I think that the most significant was I, I was amongst a million people on, uh, what was it, Yoido Island, which is in the middle of the of the city of Seoul. Um, and it, there's a river around there, so that's an actual island. But it, we went to a, 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 a revival of sorts um, in which uh, friends of mine sang and um, a number of um, people from Campus Crusade for Christ spoke. And it was, you know, it was an exciting time as for, certainly for a young lieutenant uh, serving on the demilitarized zone as I was to come down and to join a million other believers in, in uh, revival. Wow, that is so cool. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, uh, I have a heart for the persecuted church worldwide and uh, wrote the Voice of the Martyrs persecution blog actually for eight years. And so when I think about Korea, I, I, I don't always think of South Korea because I usually think of North Korea where the believers are being persecuted. Um, oh, yeah. And yet, at the same time, that's kind of a good segue into currently what's happening here in America. Now, your book, Progressive Evil, here, I'm, I'm just going to hold it up, Randall, you don't have to put the, the graphic up, but this book, um, you know, <laughs> obviously, you know, I didn't read the whole thing yet, but I did read some of it, and I have to let you know that um, I'm happy that you're here to talk about it, because I hear that you know there's a there's a reason why you wrote this book and i think you need to talk about it so go for it <laughs> well there are a number of reasons i wrote it but, <laughs> that was a uh, poorly worded way <laughs> yeah I, I thought it was an important topic given uh, you know what's going on in the culture so right yeah and i don't think people really understand the, the history of progressivism um the early history which is not all that bad uh, though they, it did begin with a combination of Hegel and Kant and Marx and uh, some others that contributed to the ideology, but it is an ideology, you know, it's sort of a religion of sorts. Um, but it did a great deal of good initially in the during the progressive area, which was 1890 to about uh, 1920. 
and during those years, uh, it you know worked for the underdog, for the the former agrarian society that all of a sudden was thrust into the industrial society, industrial age revolution of sorts. Um, they were smack uh, dab in the middle of also of the Gilded Age, which of course was when uh, a very small fringe of society was rich uh, and the rest of them were working in basically factories for penance uh, for very little. And so the abuse of people, child labor, uh, the abuse of women, uh, the abuse of uh, the workers was was sad. And it was, uh, you know, really... You created uh, an upsurge of, of interest to try to reform, and so you you had the beginning of ideas that said, "Look, you know, we can we can make life better for everyone uh, if we do certain things." And so you began to see reforms. Reforms, you know, came in the form. You know, there were some constitutional reforms, but there were also, you know, food and drug laws that eventually got to Congress to protect the average person. Uh, there was certainly uh, work. Uh, against the the anti-trusts uh, and the monopolies that, interestingly, the Supreme Court had, in fact, uh, granted to you know, companies to, to get them to develop the United States. So well-intended initially, but they got out of hand. Uh, then, of course, you had uh, a host of other things. You had you know, political reform, which was absolutely necessary because certain you know, political uh, parties and organizations were taking, you know, more power than they should from the people. So that's when we began to see direct primaries and voter initiatives and referendums and recall actions. You know, all things that you know really serve the interest of the, you know, the the majority of the people, not the the special interest. You had, uh, of course, you had unions that started up. But you also had other issues. You had a, a government that started to really grow and to become bloated. You had uh, the amendment that you know, allowed for the federal income tax, which I'm sure is not popular with a lot of people, and understandably, you had women's suffrage. So you you had a lot of important things that happened, you know, from the late 1890s up until. Yeah, arguably, you could say up until Franklin Roosevelt's time, you know, but of course, uh, Woodrow Wilson was very significant, a big progressive, uh, though a Democrat. Yeah, Teddy Roosevelt, of course, was progressive, but a Republican. So it's both parties. Uh, and of course, Franklin Roosevelt and his New Deal really grew government and grew individual dependency. He created Social Security, he created a host of programs that you know, really uh, ex rapidly expanded the power and began to attack the things that I'm in interested in. I address in progressive evil, the the rights, uh, the Bill of Rights, uh, the first 10 amendments that our founders gave us. Uh, progressives have really whittled away at those over the years. And of course, the key institutions that undergird uh, our country. And then, of course, the ideals, uh, the ideals that made America an exceptional place uh, in, in uh, all across the world. So now those are the things that are the, the grist 
uh, kind of the content of progressive evil, because I go through, uh, explain the civics of where we came from and what progressives have done to it and where we are today. And so that's that's kind of the broad view. Uh, we can, of course, and delve into any of those topics as you see fit. Yes. Well, you know, I think it's important for people to understand that history and the and the backdrop, especially since, you know, my generation and under, you know, I'm, I just turned 50 a couple months ago. And I have to say that my husband kind of jokingly at times says, when I don't know something that I should know, he's like, oh, it's because you were raised in you know, you went to public school or you didn't learn anything. Uh, and and I'm like, but I went to private school in college, so I know a little bit, you know, but, but you know, we don't know our history, right? And, you know, if we don't know our history, then obviously that can impact us the way that we we currently live today, right? So, um, one, oh, oh, absolutely. And that's one of the things I want to point out to everybody in the audience. Check this out. This back section here, this note section is pretty thick. So Bob here actually footnotes everything. I don't even know how many footnotes you have in here, but um, they're over a thousand. Over a thousand. Okay, so yeah, like Carl Tykrib, you know, and <laughs> I talked to Carl not too long ago, and he's like, "Yeah, I have five million footnotes in the back of my book," and he practically did. So these are the best type of books to read. You know why? Because if you're if you're a researcher and you really want to dig in the truth, you want to verify what the author is talking about, you go check out their res- their sources. So. And, you know, that actually goes to the area of education and how progressives have actually tried to rewrite history and, um, you know, not tell stuff. In fact, like like one, let's bring up a topic. This is probably a hot topic, but but 9-11. Where were you on 9-11, just out of curiosity? Well, I was in Washington at the time. I was the vice president for the Family Research Council. Okay. And I was conducting a meeting with my staff, and you know, we started to hear out on the streets of Washington a great commotion because, uh, of course, the Twin Towers had been hit and uh, the Pentagon was hit. And so uh, I was very near the FBI building. So there was a lot of activity, and it wasn't too many hours before Washington uh, was cleared out um, because uh, I was... Uh, very much in the media at the time mm-hmm. and had uh, specialized to a certain degree on terrorism, especially Islamic terrorism. Uh, I did, and you can find online uh, quite a bit of television and radio during that time. And I was one of the few that actually uh, had written about Osama bin Laden before 9-11, uh, calling attention to uh, what he had done in Sudan and what he had done in Afghanistan uh, and, of course, uh, what his long-term plans were. So um, it wasn't a surprise to me. Right. And, you know, part of the reason I bring that up is not only because you were there, but also if you look at today's history books and how they rewrote history there, you wouldn't see pretty much what you know, right? Yeah, well, and that's a lot of it's by design. You know, if you mm-hmm. go back to John Dewey uh, and how he... Uh, kind of reconfigured uh, during the 30s and 40s, uh, our whole education establishment. You know, we started off with, you know, the common school across the nation. Uh, and, you know, the first was, of course, the Latin schools that 
copied what was going on in Germany and elsewhere, and, and maybe Switzerland as well, and a couple of European countries. Uh, but it came to Boston. Uh, the, the real first public school was the Latin school there. About the time Harvard was established, it was actually a year prior. And then yeah, they, they emphasize the, the important things, reading, writing, arithmetic. Right. Um, and, of course, uh, in that case, Latin, because they felt that an educated person had to speak more than one language, and Latin was the, you know, the language of choice at the time. Uh, those common schools spread across the, the entire country um, by virtue of, uh, you know, the men going and families going west. And yeah, it, it was all, you know, pretty, we were a very literate country, uh, even up to and beyond the Civil War. But things started to begin to change, uh, like I said, in the early part of the 20th century, when progressives decided, well, you know, we ought to, use this as an opportunity to remake uh, America's people uh, and start with the children. You know, the advisor, uh, the social scientist that advised Theodore Roosevelt uh, basically says, what we want to do is take these pieces of plastic kids out of homes and put them on the kneading board of our school system and basically re-socialize them so they can better fit in and be productive citizens in our society. So you know, that was the thinking of progressives as far back as the early part of the 20th century. And then, of course, uh, others came along and we ended up you know, discarding you know, four years of history that the typical student would get and replaced it with social science, uh, what it became called. And we abandoned <laughs> most of the civics that you know, was taught up until well, four or five decades ago, you know, which was a primary you know, topic because it told you about our government, how it was formed, you know, what your rights and privileges are, you know, what the Bill of Rights meant, what the dec- Declaration means, what the Constitution and all the articles mean, and how the government functions. You really don't get that anymore. And so Americans typically... Um, unless they really make an effort, uh, are left uh, without an understanding of their civic responsibilities and how their government functions. And so when progressives did that by design so that they can come in and rewrite our Constitution, which, of course, they want it to be a malleable document. And so they want to manipulate it in a way that fits their ideology. And, of course, I can go in and explain the ideology as, as you may see fit. Uh, but the, the education uh, is in the in the bag for progressives because they control not only you know, the public education <clears throat> system, pardon me, mm-hmm. um, but they also control the teachers' colleges, um, and they've you know, created what we call curriculum developers who you know, basically uh, tell you what you're going to teach, and we don't emphasize expertise. You know, even if you're a, a, a math teacher. Surprisingly, you're not getting that much math in a in a education college. You're you're getting mostly curriculum development yep. and how to deliver certain things, but you're not learning a lot of math like we used to. So yeah. uh, there's some distressing things that the American education system had to go through. Uh, but I put a lot of blame on you know the fact that 
You know, we rank so low amongst the developed world that it's appalling. You know, what is it, a fifth of our people can't even read the documents that our founders wrote. Uh, it's for a nation that spends, you know, about $13,000 a year for every student in America. Yeah, that's not a very good return on the investment. No, and you know, it's, what's really interesting is I'm glad that you brought up the, the whole issue of curriculum because um, I remember it was probably, what is this, 2019, probably 20, 2002, my husband and I were asked by um, uh, the, the Traditional Values Coalition if we would go into a, a GLSEN conference, and you know what that is, right? The Gay, Lesbian, Straight oh, Education yeah. Network. Oh, yeah. We went in there as spies. And this was kind of like my first undercover thing for the right, you know. <laughs> so we go in there as spies in order to find out what it was that the homosexual lobby was doing uh, as far as education. I'll never forget this because, first of all, I was I, it was in Los Angeles. We were still living in California at that point. But uh, we were down there in Los Angeles. There was drag queens. There was, you know, the whole... Um, you know, the leadership that we all know about, anybody who knows anything about who's in that area. And um, I collected literally a box full of the curriculum, and I sent it to Janet Parshall. At the time, I was just a listener of hers, and I, I literally packed it up. I shipped it to her show, Janet Parshall's America, at the time that it was on. And Janet actually read the curriculum that I sent her on her show, and I actually still have the audio clip of it, not not right now, I don't have it available, but I do still have it, where she was even shocked at what these guys were, were doing in order to indoctrinate homosexuality uh, into kids, including in a music class, you know, I mean, and, and Randall and I, what we did, Bob, was we went back to our church, and we were trying to tell our church about what happened at this event, and and it was like la 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 that we don't want to hear it, and we kind of felt like, what the heck have we just gotten into? It's almost like we fell down this rabbit hole, you know. And and uh, as years progressed, um, I got my master's in clinical psychology. I began practicing as a marriage and family therapist, and we ended up going to um, uh, I ended up I was invited to a uh, a counseling conference that was run by. Uh, lesbian psychologist down in San Diego and I was invited to go into this conference as a as a therapist but also as a spy and there happened to be um, Chastity Bono also known as Chaz was one of the main speakers and um, Stuart Milk you know Harvey Milk's nephew uh, he was there and then there was a, a whole bunch of other leaders in there and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to how they were redefining the language that me as a Christian was supposed to be using. Like, I can't use the word gay, or no, the word homosexual, and because according to them, if I did, it, it kind of leans towards the idea of sexuality and, and sex, and this implies that, you know, we're looking at the behavior <laughs> of somebody by their definition, and and... But the, the thing that really got me, and, and Randall knows this, and this was probably about 2006 or so, some, somewhere around there. Um, what really got me was that there was a guy who was leading this panel, and he had transitioned from, quote, one gender to another. And his goal was to get children uh, 
to transition as well. And so what they were doing was they had the, this panel of parents and they brought their kids there to testify to the group of therapists. And it was all school counselors um, that they were really, really upset because they couldn't find enough doctors to inject hormone treatments into these children. And so I'm sitting in the back about ready to jump out of my skin, wanting to punch somebody in the face because <clears throat> obviously, you know, you don't do that to a kid. And, um, and, and of course I'm thinking all my child development training and how children develop and, and all that. And so I raised my hand and I said, Hey, I just have a question. Cause you know, he's like, do you have any questions? And I'm like, yeah. And as calmly as I said, I said, how are you guys going to do, do what you're doing with all the research out there, you know, Piaget and, you know, all the research that talks about child development, how are you going to explain that away? And to my face, he said, it won't work. It, it will not matter. We'll just rewrite what we want and not, and not, you know, we'll just do what we want. And if you want to know more, just see me after. Well, knowing me, I didn't want to see him after because, <laughs> you know, I was about ready to come out of my skin. And yeah, all these years later, what, it's what, 13 years later, we now see this whole thing with the drag queen stuff that are actually pedophiles and libraries are allowing them and people are being outraged like in California, which I know you, you, you believe is like a third world nation. I'd love for you to talk about that. Um, but how do we, how do we conquer this when there's so few of us, let's say, um, Joshua and Caleb's going in and trying to get the info. It's, it's like, it's there, but how do we wake up like the church so that we can keep being the light? You know what I'm talking about here? No, no, I understand what you're talking about. And, I've been a culture warrior for a long time and very concerned about the, the lack of understanding of the culture and the danger it has for where we've come. Uh, part of my background is that, uh, of course, I'm one of the authors of the Pentagon's Don't Ask, Don't Tell um, policy. And so when we were researching it after uh, Bill Clinton announced in Vermont and uh, 1992, that mm -hmm. he was going to uh, open the military for the service of homosexuals. Uh, that, you know, interested me as a topic for the military. And so I started to research and write and became uh, one of the, the primary people that worked on the topic. And in fact, in January of uh, 1993, uh, Bob Dornan, who used to be the congressman mm -hmm. there in Los Angeles, invited me to testify to a hearing on Capitol Hill. And of course, I was the, um, I had been studying the homosexual lifestyle from a military perspective. And so I was uh, very forthright in my explanation as to the research and the writing that I had done for the Pentagon on the very topic. Um, it was, uh, a sobering uh, testimony uh, that, you know, still in C-SPAN, I, I believe. Uh, but I said some of the things that uh, that you had mentioned, Stacy. Um, certainly talked about what their agenda was. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I wrote papers for both uh, House Armed Services and Senate Armed Services while I was at the Pentagon in uniform 
you know, saying not only what they had in mind long term, uh, uh, but the things that we've seen uh, fulfilled over the last you know, couple of decades were, were the things that they had said in their own literature. So they've been very, very successful. And I ended up debating many of um, the leading homosexuals in the country over the you know, a couple of years span there. And, you know, they were they were saying much the same thing as their own literature was. So I'm, I'm not surprised. Um, what, what really shocked me is that, you know, back then we were uh, we found a great deal of resistance to the things that have become commonplace today. And, you know, that kind of you know fits into what I see at the top of you know, progressive evil and that you know, people need to appreciate the fact that, you know, someone uh, like uh, Nikita Khrushchev, who was the former uh, communist leader in the Soviet Union in 1956, said, uh, we will take America without firing a shot. We do not have to invade the U.S. We will destroy you from within. Well, destroying from within is done through a variety of mechanisms and you know, certainly redoing the culture um, which is what we've seen transformed over the last number of decades. And progressives have played a very key role uh, in that. You know, certainly I, I, you know, the homosexual lifestyle is promoted by progressives. It's embraced by progressives. Uh, and I call California a third world country primarily because uh, it's not just the homosexuality that it embraces. It embraces what I consider corrupt government mm-hmm. uh, you know, it destroys the middle class. Today, they suffer from medieval diseases. There's typhus. There's you know, even you know, evidence that they could break out in the bubonic plague because of the, the rat infestation in, uh, amongst the homeless, which is the largest in the United States. The taxes are overwhelming. Poor social services. Uh, their infrastructure is absolutely crumbling, the gangs are out of control, there's a lack of general security. And yet, California uh, has you know, the best climate, arguably, in the nation. It has a diverse geography. It has major n- natural ports, uh, access to you know, the Pacific Ocean and great economies across the ocean, uh, timber, agriculture, mining, energy. You know, they have it so well, but, you know, progressives have brought about, you know, a quarter of the population lives below the poverty line. It's the, it has the poorest, largest segment of the population in the nation and the richest uh, segment of the population in the nation at the same time. More billionaires out there. Um, a third of the nation's welfare recipients live in California. You know, it, it, one thing after another. Why? You know, when I lived out there, I remember, you know, know, Moonbeam Brown's father when he was the governor. And it was, you know, California was a pretty good place to live back in the 60s. But over the last few decades, with nothing but progressive leadership, it has become a cesspool, a third world country, except for a few places. And you, you all you have to do is walk downtown L.A., walk downtown San Francisco and a lot of other places. uh, And you begin to get the impression that, you know, this truly is representative of aspects of a third world country. It's just so sad. 
Yeah, I I grew up there. I I mean, I was in I was born in upstate New York, but I in 1976 when my parents divorced, I was uh taken to Riverside and you know, lived there and then I lived in Orange County and and my husband and I, we were like, "Oh my gosh, we got to get out of here." Cuz I mean, at the just the immigration issue alone. <laughs> and we we literally had a guy move in next door to us from Mexico. They planted their Mexican flag outside their thing, and they said, teach us English. And then they told us they were there illegally, which really did not sit well with me because <laughs> was just, because my Filipino neighbor, who was on the other side of me, came legally and, uh, you know, and all that. So, but, but I agree. I mean, I was just back there about three months ago, and I was like, how do I even live here? Because it, it, it has changed in seven years that I haven't been there. It's just, it's... It's crazy in the government there. This is what they want the rest of America to look like, I believe. And, um, you know, we can talk about that after we take our break. Okay, everybody. Hey, if you don't know, my guest tonight is the wonderful Robert McGinnis. And he has written a brand new book called Progressive Evil, How Radicals Are Redefining America's Rights, Institutions, and Ideals, Making Her Globally Irrelevant for the End Times. And not only that, he has written a whole bunch of other books. Here are some of the other titles. He's written Alliance of Evil, uh, which was published last year. And then he wrote another book that I actually talked to him a little bit about, 2017, called The Deeper State, Inside the War on Trump by Corrupt Elites, Secret Societies, and the Builders of an Eminent Final Empire. Before that, he wrote... Future War, Super Soldiers, Terminator, Cyberspace, and the National Security Strategy for the 21st Century Combat, and more. You guys can go over to our Bible News Radio Amazon page, which is right there on your screen, I think. So if you go to Amazon.com forward slash shop forward slash Bible News Radio, <laughs> you can go there and get the book through our link. That will help support us, uh, you know, a couple dollars will if you all buy it today. Buy it today, people. Um, go get them all, actually. You guys need to be educated by somebody who's there, who's been there, done that. He gets it. Um, all that. Also, don't forget our other sponsor, Ariel Ministries. Uh, Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum, Messianic Jewish believer, founded this ministry many, many decades ago. And if you go there, you can use the coupon code Bible News, and you can save 20% on anything you get there. And you can understand the Bible and the Jewish perspective it was written uh, if you do that. So we want you to do that. And, of course, if you just want to donate to our show, you can go over to BibleNewsRadio.com over there. And you can uh, donate through the website. By the way, I want to thank you guys for coming in. Um, As you guys know, Twitter, Periscope, (laughs) which is owned by Twitter, we have almost 6,000 followers on Twitter and in Periscope and Twitter. they spike the show. They hide us on purpose. So if you guys just share this out again, that would be awesome. And then, of course, YouTube is owned by Google, who wants to have the mind of God. And they hide us as well, you know. So if you don't mind sharing it out again, uh, we will be posting this on Facebook and other places. Um, And you know what, you guys, this really is a war. It really is. Because um, I refuse to take this this show and put it on Christian networks because I'm not here to to get Christians. I'm getting I'm here to get disciples, to make disciples and also to fish for men. You know what I mean? 
Um, and I think that's what's important. We need to remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to remember why Jesus came. And if you're born again and you're, you're blessed enough to be born again, we have to be out there. We got to be the light in the darkness. And trust me, it's, it's a dark, dark hour. Um, and, you know, I actually thought, Bob, that when we moved here to Tennessee, I was going, oh my gosh, I'm escaping California. Yay! You know, we're going to the promised land, middle Tennessee, you know? And when I got here, I was like so shocked at the culture in the Bible Belt. I mean, it's it's considerably better than California by, by any stretch. But the thing is, it's a cultural Christianity. It's not a very deep, biblical, I'm going to make disciples Christianity. Um, which, which actually really concerns me, um, because how are we supposed to impact the culture for Christ when we have biblically illiterate people who won't even open the Bible to read it and, or they won't even talk about these issues that we're talking about? I'm just curious. Yeah, well, the, yeah, well Stacey, the, the church, uh, has a, uh, I, I think has earned the proper rap over the years and, terms of having abandoned his first love and not being uh, dedicated to responding to Christ's mandate to be the salt and the light. And what that means is something that our founders gave us, and that is in the First Amendment, they said, you can practice uh, your religious freedom. Religious freedom means that, you know, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and in the Bible, the Word of God, then that should be your guide in working with your neighbor and your community and your nation. And so if you see evil, something God calls evil, then you are obligated to call it out. Unfortunately, um, in cultural Christianity today, uh, we only you know, praise the Lord inside the confines of four walls, but when we get out there in the dirty world, the evil world, uh, we don't, you know, shine the light of Christ as we should. And so the, one of the reasons I think this nation uh, is in serious jeopardy right now is because uh, even the remnant of those that love Christ, uh, that are followers of him, that understand his word, that are, you know, steeped uh, in the Bible, uh, are not being true representatives uh, within the culture. If they were, then we would have more people, you know, declaring the very things that we've been talking about over the last 30 minutes and much more as evil and wrong. And, uh, you know, we'd start doing things about it. Uh, so these are things that I deal with in progressive evil. Um, the reason I call it evil is because the things that God calls evil, I must call evil. Right. You know, that, I have no excuse. Uh, you know, he calls homosexuality an abomination. I must do that. Uh, you know, I, I'm a sinner. Uh, I, I do things that I, I'm ashamed of. I do things that, you know, Christ forgives me of. Um, but at the same time, I should not be bashful about being the light that I must be. I, uh, often... Bible believers, people that are open about their faith, make others feel very uncomfortable because it's convicting. Their conscience uh, hurts. Uh, the, but of course, there are others that are so far gone that 
you know, they're almost demon possessed and they, they don't understand, you know, what's going on. We live in a very spiritual world. Um, and yet there's a lot of spiritually dead Christians out there that are just cultural Christians and, and have no understanding as to the dynamics of what is all about them. So uh, these are these are tough issues, things that I deal with in progressive evil and try to explain. You know, w- one of the things that I illustrate, um, I talk about what's called the banality of evil and uh, I'll, I'll explain that if you'd like, because I think it's important for our country, especially Christians, to appreciate how insidious uh, the threat that I see really is. And it really begins, the idea you know, tracks back uh, to uh, an interesting trial in 1961 of Adolf Eichmann. It was took place in Jerusalem, and it was a Nazi war crime. You know, tribunal and uh, a young female German um, Zionist, uh, Hannah Ardent. Uh, Hannah uh, wrote an article for the New Yorker because she was going to report on the trial of Eichmann, and then it, that morphed into a book later on. And Anna dec- or Hannah dec- kind of de- described Eichmann as a banal man, a boring man. Uh, normal man, unimportant, she wrote, stupid, uh, uninterested, an imbecile. And then uh, then she goes further in her writings, uh, and she, she begins to make the Jewish population that, you know, after the war feel very uncomfortable about themselves, and for the most part the Germans that survived as well, because she asked questions like, you know, here the SS, the Nazis were you know, taking Jews by the millions, putting them in trains and shipping them off to concentration camps and putting them into death. Uh, and what were the Jews doing? Why weren't they fighting? Why were they just sitting there allowing themselves to be taken captive and, and shipped? And why were the Germans, you know, there were a lot of German Christians. Why weren't they doing anything? You know, why were the even the Jewish leaders complicit in you know, turning, you know, Jewish property over to the Aryans. You know, why was all this happening? You know, there, Chuck Colson uses an illustration, which I mm-hmm. often uh, remember, in which, um, because I've been to north of um, Munich, a concentration camp there, and he's, my my father-in-law helped liberate that at the end of World War Two, and, you know, the the German Christians had a uh, a church right next to the railroad tracks, and as the trains loaded with Jews would come by, and they were in their church, all they would do is sing louder so that they couldn't hear the rumble of the trains going past, carrying the Jews to their death. You know, they tried to turn a blind eye to it. So why did this all happen? Well, this is what Hannah calls the banality of evil. It's, it's in other words, what has become almost a matter of fact. Uh, they, in the culture, they rationalized things as being good. Now, how did this come about? Well, one, they said, well, look, you know, the, the German, the, the, the Nazis were in charge. They passed laws. They were people in authority. And all we were doing is obeying 
the government authority that had been put in place. We were obeying the law, uh, and we obviously had to do that. And, of course, the German authorities at the time declared the Jews as subhuman, and they were then taken care of. Then the second thing is that there was a moral communal uh, permission, um, something that allows the culture to rationalize an evil, uh, even though they they felt within them that you know their consciences were hurt, they were uh, they were affected by what they were seeing. Uh, there became you know, almost the searing of uh, their conscience and a communal permission to do what was being done within the culture to extricate uh, the Jews. The education system was also uh, used as a mechanism, uh, much like in our country, the John Deweys of the world have been manipulating our education system. Well, the, the Nazis manipulated theirs and they promoted um, the Aryan race as being superior and the Jews as being subhuman. Uh, so it became us versus them. That became a useful tool within the culture. And then the, the final part was uh, small incidents, uh, incidents in public by those in authority against uh, the targeted population, in this case, the Jews. Uh, they uh, were initially abusive, and then they became violent. And uh, then the culture became, began to accept the fact that, well, that's just the way that things are. And so one violent incident led to another, led to another, and to another. So they became uh, almost socialized to accept the violence against them because, after all, they were subhuman. Right. And so I see these, these four factors taking place within that culture and the end result was tragic and yet i see elements you know here we have laws that say abortion on demand well that's the law of the land why what's wrong with that we see violence today even by uh, questionably by uh, uh, groups that are in authority yeah we see a communal uh thinking, a consciousness uh, within the culture that's promoted by our entertainment media, that's promoted by our mass media, uh, manipulating how we think as a, as a culture. All of this is present today, and, and, and it's not going in a very good direction, uh, especially if your standard for life is outlined in God's Word. Right. Yeah. You know what? I could talk to you about this for hours. <laughs> I really could. And you know, one of the thing one of the things that that's um that really stands out to me about everything that you said is that um as as you know, it starts with the war of language, right? I mean, you know, we're being told what we can and cannot say and that self, you know, and as a result, people self-censor themselves without initially that's how it started even with the argument about life, right? I mean, Christians in the beginning, when Jerry Falwell well, was around and, and doing all that, you know, we talked about the the Bible and how in Psalm 139, life, you know, God fearfully and wonderfully made us, right? But then some 
somebody figured out, oh, well, we don't want to use the Bible to describe this because then they'll think we're, you know, these weird Christians or whatever, and we're pushing religion down their face or their throat, whatever. And so we'll just talk about, you know, it from a different perspective, like the medical one, you know, just in the same thing, as you know, has happened with homosexuality, gender, the family, and even things like Islam. And, you know, I know you're a, you're a foreign affairs international expert on that. And I just want to ask you about the whole idea of Islam and how we have seen the culture. And I have unfortunately seen this even with people in the church that I know actually embrace the idea of so-called Chrislam and how Islam is supposedly like Christianity and a religion of peace um, and how if we actually point out like Robert Spencer does over on Jihad Watch um, all the Christian persecution and what they're doing across the world and how they're bringing it here you know then somehow we're the ignoramuses and we're the buttheads and we're the ones that are so intolerant and hateful when all we're doing is pointing out the duh hello <laughs> the obvious thing and it honestly drives me crazy because i really uh you know i try to be a lady because you know i am but i just sometimes <laughs> you know and then when you you look at that and you know our government is trying to take guns away from us and all that. How do you address that? Because, you know, one of the, the things that I know is that it's my understanding that by 2020, Islam wants to take over this country. I, I read that somewhere. Um, you're the expert, though. How do, how do we as a church actually fight that when, you know, I believe their goal is to come into our churches and kill us? Well, if you read... Um... Certainly the Quran, the Siddiq, mm -hmm. and you know, other Islamic writings. And I wrote a book called Never Submit, uh, which uh, at the time was about um, the genocide of Christians in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And then the last section deals with their agenda for the United States, which is a political agenda. You have to understand that Islam is, you know, it takes into account all of life everything about you know what we do what where we eat who we marry uh what we work on our politics and so forth uh they they have no tolerance for anyone outside of their faith um, and so you, as infidels uh you can never be equal to a muslim yeah. uh, so you really have to look at that you know what when you were saying that stacy it, it reminded me of to a certain degree, what I was talking about moments ago, and you know, the Germans at the time, the German Christians at the time, you know, they adopted um, a flag that had the swastika on it with the cross, and it said you know, German Christians on it, um, and that's what they were known for. So it, the German Christians became just as uh, anti-Semitic and racist as you know the national socialists they 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 were useful idiots right. for the purpose of uh the national socialists and their agenda to you know, you know destroy uh, the jewish population and of course take over the world um you know if, if you study uh the the materials of islam uh and you understand what their geopolitical ambitions are, uh, how they administer their faith, uh, 
uh, you begin to understand there's absolutely no tolerance for we Christians, much less for the Jews. Uh, and it's it's something that, uh, you know, that they invest heavily in our prison systems. They're working in our schools. They're working in our government, as we've seen with the, right. uh, the, the squad uh, of late that uh, Nancy Pelosi is trying to deal with. Um, you, you've seen it uh, in our politics. And, of course, it is infecting the church because people in the church often don't take the time to study what that faith represents and what it says about others. Um, all you have to do is go into some of those countries, and I have, and you know, listen to them, and I have, uh, and then, of course, you know, read their materials, which I have, and you begin to appreciate how radical this is you know, from our way of life, much less from a Christian perspective. You know, you know, some of the best apologists for Christianity are people that have abandoned, fled from the Islamic faith and how radical it was. And so, uh, and there, there are a number of uh, very good books out there for people that, you know, want to kind of get it from somebody that was a former Muslim. Uh, but certainly I would in- encourage people if they want to understand kind of the broad point of view and, and how it's infiltrating into our country. And I've certainly seen it over the last decades, uh, especially here in the last few years. Uh, pick up my book, Never Submit, and you'll appreciate uh, especially, you know, the application in the back as to what's going on in our schools, as you point out, in our own churches and <clears throat> in our government. Yeah. Yeah, and and I totally concur with you on that because you know we've had um, General uh, Boykin on the show with Kamal Salim. We've had him on. We've also talked to Nani Darwish and also Walid Shubat. We've had him on, and oh, and, yeah. and a couple of other people we've had on. And and sometimes I feel like even it's it's kind of like deaf. It's following on deaf ears, even as like Brigitte Gabriel, you know, and and Pam Geller. Yeah. You know, I mean, those two women—they know what they're talking about, right? And and they get—they get, they get yeah. depicted like they're crazy. But I'm like, uh, no, they're not. You guys gotta listen to them. But anyway, um, I want to respect your time, and I gotta thank you for coming on our show because you rock. Yeah, you do. Um, <laughs> I just there's just so much. I know I could talk to you forever. Um, and maybe in, when we're in heaven, we'll get to hang out. But. I would There'll love be a for, lot of time up there, I think. Yeah, hey, I would love for you, though, to come back on and, and uh, talk more about some of this when when you have some more time. Because I just, I think that, you know, we just, my goal is just to educate who God brings to this show. Um, and because you never know who's listening and, oh, no. you no. know, and all that. So, um, and I and I can tell you that um, I did have an experience with, um, I, I sell Legal Shield, which is personal insurance and one of the goals of legal shield is they is to build a diverse and inclusive community well one of the women who you know is in leadership happens to um like linda sarsour and (laughs) you know she is right oh yeah with the 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 council on american islamic relations and and i was trying to learn about my business with legal shield and this Muslim lady who loves Linda Sarsour 
uh, actually not only unfriended me on Facebook when she saw a post that I had put up about hell, but she also just refused to have anything to do with me because I'm a born again Christian. And, and I thought, you know, isn't it interesting that, uh, a very bold Muslim woman in a direct sales company that I happen to be a part of that talks about diversity and inclusivity unfriended me, even though I did a darn, I didn't do a darn thing to her, you know? And I did tell her, I said, you know, it's interesting. Um, cause she was complaining about my hell post and, you know, kind of indirectly go, oh, I can't do anything for you. And I said, well, I happen to see one of your she heroes is Linda Sarsour. And, and I said, that tells me all I need to know. And she knew exactly what I was talking about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know. So they're, they're everywhere, everybody. That's my point, right? You know. Okay. So, Bob, tell everybody where they can get your book and, uh, and anything else you'd like to. So then you can. Okay. Well, it's my pleasure to be uh, on your program tonight, Stacey. They, the book, uh, Progressive Evil, of course, is published by Defender Publishing Group, and it's available on Amazon. In fact, um, at least yesterday was the, the bestseller in its category. So, you know, I'd like to keep it in that category. Um, yeah, it's, so you can go to Barnes & Noble, um, and there are other uh, venues that have it available. So, uh, maybe the next time, you know, some of your listeners can uh, get a copy and we can have a discussion about uh, some of the material in there. Because there's a lot of provocative material that I think that we as uh, certainly the Christian community needs to consider. I, I was thinking of Christians when I wrote the book, uh, not for a broader secular community, because I, I really think it's important for Christians to you know, be awake uh, to the culture that we live in, you know, don't, you know, put our, you know, just stay in your uh, Christian cocoon and, you know, look outside occasionally to uh, a crack in the, the door of your church at the culture. The culture needs we Christians to be engaged in it. And we need to call evil, evil. Uh, we need to be part of the political fray because it's our country civics if we understand our founders you know fought a war against the monarchy and outlined 27 grievances in the declaration of independence and they were mostly not all of them but they were mostly men of god who you know understood that if you're going to have a free country a country that's going to allow each man and woman to worship as he or she she's fit then you're going to have to be willing to pay a price and if we don't i'm afraid we're going to lose this country as we've known it and if it's reformed by progressives it's not going to be a nice place to live right think about california people just saying yep. <laughs> you know i hate to say it but you know i love california i love the weather but the politics i don't miss um but i don't want them also to be <clears throat> become the politics in tennessee or the rest of the country either so that is it okay everybody so that's it you know hey at the end of every show you know what i always say right i always say be bold stand up and go with god because he loves you and um, don't forget that, right? We'll, we will be back tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Central Time. 
So I hope you guys have a good rest of your weekend. And uh, thanks for tuning in for tonight's show. Appreciate it.